Design is and always will be iterative. So like this idea of like perfection really doesn't need to exist in the design world. I used to tell my, myself or tell my friends like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a designer so that I never have to like follow rules or do math again. Which is like such a joke because I'm doing math all the time. We just had like a two hour meeting the other day trying to figure out like the density level of like, and like ratio between points and pixels and how Figma designs for like 163 PPI, but it's different than the 72 PPI that it was a whole accessibility conversation and I, and I was laughing to my like 18 year old self thinking like, oh, I'm never gonna have to do math again. In the past, I've put so much stress on myself to like, to have everything just like be completed, perfect, like ready to go. And, you know, I see this a lot with like younger designers too, this idea of like perfection and needing to, um, needing to like get everything like really perfect before you share it for feedback. I, could, I think I would tell my 20 year old self not to put so much pressure on myself to like be the best designer in the world. Cause like, you're not going to be the best designer that you can be in this day and time. Like you, if it's a career that you follow or a passion that you pursue, like you just will end up changing and evolving and growing and iterating. What's up everybody, I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer, so in this show I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today I'm talking to Amanda Santello. Amanda is currently the experienced design lead at Forge, a construction company building the next-gen trades community. Before Forge, she worked as the Associate Director of Product Design at Chewy, and before that, the Director of Experience Design at Accenture. I got a chance to meet Amanda for the first time during a club competition back at Tufts, and I'm so glad we got the chance to sit down and chat about a variety of topics, including her watercolor side business, early days at an agency, what's it like to be a Director of UX, and so much more. I really enjoyed our conversation, so, without further ado, here's my conversation with Amanda Santello. Amanda, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, so I wanted to start off with something that's not super work-related, career-related. So, one thing that I realized when I was looking through a profile, I came across a beautiful website titled Design As You Wish, and in it I saw a variety of you know, different beautiful watercolor illustrations of just funny puns. And one that I remember, just to give listeners some context, one that I remember is an illustration for a wedding. On it, it has a diamond ring and the caption said, Mr's has a nice ring to it. Mm-hmm. And anyways, there were so many more of those different illustrations. So I just wanted to understand, like, how did you start this side business of Design As You Wish? Yeah, um, I get this question a lot, um, like, because it it really um, started as a joke, actually. Um, so about how many years ago was it? Um, like six or seven years ago, maybe longer than that, actually. But uh, a while ago, I was a UX designer 
at Digitas and I was working on a lot of really large national accounts. And um, I don't know what the Digitas office looks like nowadays, but back then um, we sat in cubicles and you were kind of like separated from your team. So you could really have that focal space. And one of my friends on the team, on the design team, he had a very barren desk while the rest of us had a lot of like really cool, like, you know, figures, illustrations, like inspiration, whatever. And his was just blank. And we are like, yo, dude, what are, what are you like quitting on us tomorrow? Where, what are you doing to your desk? So anyways, we made fun of him enough that one day he came in and he just brought a bunch of old art supplies and he threw them on the desk so that we could mess around with that, including a watercolor um, palette and watercolor paper and some paintbrushes. So we got into this like fun little uh, ritual where when we were in between all of these like big client meetings that were sometimes stressful, especially as a junior designer where you're kind of, you know, running around in different directions without much guidance, we would take turns like writing, like painting little doodles and then writing little notes. And then it was just kind of a fun thing. You'd go back after your meeting and see, oh, look what Michael did. Oh, look what Allie did. And my first illustration during that time was of, I, I just really like puns. Uh, I know mm. some people really hate them. I don't speak <laughs> in puns. I know some people think it's kitschy. And some of my copywriting friends have always said it's that puns are the worst, but I love them. <laughs> so I painted a little, like a duck sticking his bum out of the water. Mm. So yeah, and it was yeah. on, um, we were going to go to happy hour that day. So I think that's, I was like, oh, bottoms up, ready to go. <laughs> a happy hour after work. And yeah, it just become a really fun thing. And I was feeling pretty burnt out at the time. So I thought, oh, this could be a really fun creative outlet for me, which um, one of my mentors at the time was like, look, you, you care a lot about design, but you can't place all of your passion into your work because you can't always control it. So put your passion into something that you can control and that can be more rewarding. So I started an Instagram account, Designs As You Wish to post these like silly punny illustrations. Um, and then like it kind of led one thing to another. Someone was like, oh, can you make me a hand painted card? And then I was like, oh, I could probably sell these. And, mm. and I thought, oh, I could go to a market and so on and so forth. And it's just been kind of a fun thing that sometimes I really put into high gear and other times like during the pandemic, it really was pretty dead. I just wasn't focusing mm. on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's been like a fun little side project. And sometimes it's it's felt like a lot more than that. Mm-hmm. What's the current state of the project? The current state is, uh, well, so like I mentioned, I during the pandemic, I mean, we all had like some trials and tribulations and difficulty during that time. And the way, while a lot of people leaned into hobbies during the pandemic, I leaned into like, more calming, like meditation and things like that. So I completely stopped painting, even though painting is really meditative and relaxing for me. It just, for some reason, didn't click. So I have taken a big break from it up until maybe a year or so ago or a little less than a year ago. So like in 2021, I just started like missing it a lot. And um, so I'm, I'm slowly sort of like revamping it. Like my website's still live, but I really haven't updated it with new inventory. Most of my new work, I always will post on my Instagram and I'm slowly like starting to think about TikTok, but I'm on TikTok all the time as a consumer, uh, but I, I'm a little worried about creating <laughs> content because I just don't have all the time to really put effort into it. 
anyways. So yeah, I, right now I'm, um, I'm signed up for a few like local markets. I have always done markets, especially during the summer and around the holidays. Um, and then the SOA winter festival, um, is coming up. I've been, yeah, I love. I actually haven't been. I did, I did SOA, um, actually last summer I did, I think maybe like six or seven days and I missed the sign up. So I'm not in SOA this summer, but I did, um, get into the, which is, I didn't know this at the time, but it's like somewhat more competitive because they try to really mm, like diversify okay. the right. vendors. Um, so I'll be at SOA Winter Festival. And so I'm just starting to like to revamp. I, I always kind of have two or three custom mm. illustration projects at a time, but usually it's through friends of friends or word of mouth. But I'm really excited about the Winter Festival because I'm creating new cards, new prints, new custom work, a couple of like calendars and wrapping paper designs. And then I'm hoping that like that'll be the start where I can start to market myself again because mm-hmm. um, it definitely takes a lot of work. It, especially, I mean, I used to not put that much effort into the marketing side of things, but ever since Instagram, I don't know how much it has to do with being like folded into like Facebook and the metaverse and all of that. Or, you know, or just the fact that they changed their algorithms. But since all of that happened, you really have to put a lot of thought and effort into getting recognized or getting followers and generating followers into leads and leads into revenue. Like, and this isn't my full-time gig, so I don't, I don't always really, um, I shouldn't say I don't care, but I, I, it's hard to prioritize it. So um, it's kind of, it's kind of in limbo right now, I guess is a short way of saying that. But I guess like, I think it's great to have something planned ahead in time. So you're like, I have this winter festival coming up. Oh, I need to like start yeah. creating like a bunch of different pieces. Yeah. I start market myself. Yeah, exactly. I think like I got into this when I started painting again after the pandemic, I got into this. I got into this like thought pattern of like, oh, I need to, I need to paint X in order to see Y result. Like I need to paint these things in order to like get people to follow me again or to interact with my posts because I'm not getting that interaction or those likes. And then I realized that I was totally, completely on the other side of the the whole point of why I started painting, which was because it was fun and it brought me joy, which is such a cliche. It's like, oh, you need to put like, do what you love and then what you love will go back into the world and people will react to Mm -hmm. it, you know, um, and reflect the joy that you get out of it. I wasn't doing that at all. And um, I actually, I didn't mention this yet. I signed up to have my art in a cafe. So Mm. I didn't know this before, but apparently, you know, when you go into a cafe and you see art from some artist, Mm -hmm. I've always thought that the cafe owners or managers curate that somehow, but Mm -hmm. um, I've discovered and you can just walk into a cafe and say, hey, I'm an artist. I would like my things to be displayed if you have any openings coming up. And they have a, a list. And so I got on a list for a local cafe in Norfolk, Massachusetts. Mm. And I have another one coming up in December oh, wow. um, in Warren, Rhode Island, like which is close to where I grew up. And having that motivation, like you were saying before, is has been motiv- it's been motivating for me, really to be able to have something to look forward to, but it's also kind of brought me back to center where I'm painting things that I'm excited about and that Mm -hmm. I like doing. Mm -hmm. Um, 
with custom work, I get a lot of like dog portraits or some people ask for people portraits, which I'm really bad at people. I'm very bad at painting people, but I love architecture and I love painting bricks and stone and florals and like things that are sort of natural, but sort of man-made at the same time and seeing where those two things meet. So it's been fun to just choose what I'm making and yeah, see what comes out of it. No, I love that. How do you balance your time in this case? Because you're, again, yeah, as you mentioned, this is not your full-time gig. You have another full-time position, which we'll talk about later in the episode. But yeah, yeah how, how do you balance that? The honest truth is I don't know if I do. I don't know if I do <laughs> I'm still figuring that out. Um, mm. There are some times where I feel like, wow, that was a really well-balanced week. And then there's another week where I was like, wow, that was a train wreck. Right. I did not succeed. Um, <laughs> I used, so before the pandemic and before the pandemic, I was very single. I wasn't dating anybody. And I also lived alone and I have a dog, mm-hmm. but like my responsibilities and like my time spent was dedicated to like my home, my job, Mm -hmm. my health, my dog, Mm -hmm. and like sometimes my health and my dog, like taking care of those two things overlapped. But now, you know, things are just a little bit different because I now am dating someone and we live together. And so Mm -hmm. not to equate that to like a task, the way that like, Mm -hmm. you know, taking care of your dog. (laughs) Added to-do list. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) If I show this to him, he's going to feel like (laughs) Um, no. I'll just but put like, this snippet and send it to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's time spent, right? Like you choose how to spend your time, and we don't have unlimited time in our lives, in a month, in a day, you know. And the way that I'm trying to spend or to balance it is what works for me lately is to remove the pressure of like, in I need to paint every day, I need to work every day, I need to um, work, go to the gym every day. Like, I can't do all those three things. And so my boyfriend has like helped me kind of change my mindset to like, okay, every single day, you can pick, like, outside of your job, obviously, because I, you know, I work every day mm-hmm. from like, roughly nine to five. Mm-hmm. Um, you can pick like two things that you want to really spend like more time on. Are you going to go to the gym and like take your time and get ready and like bring your dog to the park after work? Mm. And then, you know, cause you still have to factor in just things to do when you're living, like mm. make dinner, mm. read before you go to bed, whatever, get yeah. ready for the next day. Like I can pick two things. So I don't, I don't think it works well for me to like dictate what days I do things when mm. I've tried that. And I think it works for some people, but for me, life just gets like too unpredictable, especially working at a startup now where I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just can't always predict how I'm going to be feeling, how much energy I have and creative energy is not, you know, always plentiful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'd say like the approach I take to finding balance is trying to limit myself to like two big things outside of my day-to-day responsibilities. And so that's every day two things, right? Two things every day. And like today, for example, um, I, I I don't really like, it's, it's a mind, when I say it's a mindset, it's not something that I'm like really cognitively, like, I don't like wake up and I'm like, okay, Amanda, what are your two things today? It's just kind of like something I'm trying to, when I find myself getting overwhelmed, it's like, oh, you need to scale back and pick what your two things are. It's more like when it's a, something to fall back mm-hmm. on. 
So like today I went to, um, I, I went to the dog park and we spent like an hour there. I went for a walk, got coffee, spent some time with my boyfriend in the morning before we had to like go, you know, cause we're morning people. And that was my one thing. And then tonight I'm going to work on a custom illustration that I owe somebody um, to drop off this week. Mm-hmm. And those are my two things. So I'm not going to make it to the gym and I'm not going to grab drinks with any friends or, you know, anything like that. So, so yeah, yeah I'm really bad at not like limiting myself, but I, you know, something I'm working on. <laughs> but I love that though. It, it's such a clear decision framework for choosing the things that I wanted to. Yeah. And when I was single, it probably would have been like three or four things. Mm-hmm. Cause I'd be like, you know, as a maniac, but now, well, it's not just the fact that I'm single. It's also that like my, um, my needs mm-hmm. have changed. Like I was in a, I was in this like creative flow state for like what felt like multiple years where I just, I always wanted to create. I wanted to wake up and draw and paint. I wanted to, I wanted to spend more time on work outside of work. I wanted to blog. I wanted Mm -hmm. to work on personal projects. Like I was just so creatively stimulated and needed to do a lot of things. But now chalk it up to like post pandemic, being in a relationship, just entering my like mid thirties. I don't know. I just feel like I need more like fluidity in my schedule. So it probably was more like four things back when I was like, Oh, I'm in a, I'm in a very highly stimulated phase of my life or of the year. And right now I'm, I, I just don't want to handle more than what I, what's I'm, what I'm faced. <laughs> it's just, it's just changed, I guess. I want to shift gears a little bit um, because I know we have a limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. I wanted to shift into your career background when you're working at an agency. So I know earlier in your career where mm-hmm. you were working at Digitas, as you mentioned before, as a senior experience designer. For listeners who never heard of Digitas before, it's a very well-known marketing agency. So I just wanted to understand, like, what was it like designing at an agency early on in your career? I really loved it. I've talked to some other designers about this, especially like it's something I I also contemplated um, like early in my career of whether I wanted to go, you know, in-house or like at a product company, although product companies weren't like quite as much like of a thing. It was like really focused around like agency settings when I started my career or did I want to go the agency route? And I would say I sort of like fell into the agency setting through my very first job out of college, Mm -hmm. just because of, it was a connection that I made through an interview kind of set up like this one, but like it was for a paper when I was in college um, to meet with a web design director. And I was like, Oh, I think I want to do this. Reached out to her, got the job, worked at an agency and that's how I fell into it. And what I really liked about it and what really worked for me was that I worked on a lot of different client projects and I'm going to phrase this the right way because it's not that like you can't get this experience if you work uh, like in-house at an agent at a, like a product company. I have not had that experience, so I can't really speak to it, honestly, but I gained a lot of value in an agency setting, particularly at Digitas, um, because I not only got to work with a lot of different clients and client types and mm-hmm. like UX problems and different solutions, but I also got a chance to observe like very, very senior people in different 
um, capabilities mm -hmm. that I had to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. And like fast forward years later where I'm like leading projects and working really closely with whether it be a external client or like an internal stakeholder, I felt like it gave me a better sense of like how to put on a business mm -hmm. lens, how to put on the marketing lens, how to put on the um, like operations, like change operations. And like, those are things that you, while you at a smaller, like startup and agency, you have closer relationships with the people managing those capabilities. Mm -hmm. You also have a ton of stuff to do in a short amount of time. So you don't really have the time to like, network mm -hmm. and learn and like think about like like learn those things and uh i i've always known that i wanted to like eventually be in a leadership position so kind of understanding the business background not having it from school or education was important to me so yeah what led me to digitas was um i was at an agency in dc mm -hmm. and uh, i can't even remember the name of it honestly <laughs> i was not there but it's all good I think they've actually been acquired since, but I really wanted to move from Washington, D.C. back up to New England, where my family is from and where a lot of my friends live. So mm -hmm. I um, sent my resume to like all the big agency names, mm -hmm. uh, most of which are still prevalent and there are more now. Mm -hmm. That was about seven or eight years ago. And I, I think I got, I went through interview processes for like two or three of them, but Digitas mm -hmm. was always the one that I was most excited by mm -hmm. because my traditional, like my background was always in public communication, visual communication and graphic design. Mm -hmm. But I um, felt really strongly and passionate about digital design. Mm -hmm. um, and they were spinning a new team called Experience Design, which hadn't existed before. So I wanted to be a part of that. So that's how I landed there. I wanted to follow up more on that because the part where you talked about like the business mindset and also mm -hmm. what it what it's like to be a leader, are those normally learned through like I guess client meetings or talking to different senior level people that's outside of the agency? Like a little bit of both, I guess. Um for me personally, like I feel like it didn't click for me until I really like, and until I sought out some of the like asked questions mm -hmm. and sought out some of the conversations with other people internally, because when you're, when you're building that relationship with a client and working with them, um, it's, you know, it's easy to just be like really focused and consumed by like the design hand at task that you're responsible for delivering. Mm -hmm. um, but something that like took me a long time to really grasp was, you know, as a designer and like, especially when you're designing in school mm -hmm. and you have these like very contained projects, even when they're group projects, you're like so focused on like the best practices for design, like what you know, what kind of grid are you using? Like, how is this going to scale responsively? Like, what are the colors I'm going to choose? Photography versus iconography mm -hmm. and like getting it like pixel perfect where you're screen to screen, like thinking through everything. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of times in a client setting when you're working with someone else that like what you consider to be good is not going to like fit the mold for what the client needs, whether that be because they don't have enough time, they don't have enough money to give you, or, you know, you're one person in a team of 10 and like the way you do something or you think just something should be designed is not the only way to do it. And you have to collaborate and I you kind of like learn it 
inevitably the hard way where like you want a design to be a certain way, a client kind of intervenes because sometimes of a business priority, regardless of whether you're privy to it or not, like it depends on how transparent they are with that information. Mm -hmm. And that can be sort of frustrating. So by like seeking out the understanding of like what, like how big is the company? Are they a startup or are they like a well-funded like public corporation Mm -hmm. and like how are they investing into the design that you're designing is it like a long-term project is it a short-term project like all of these factors play into the fact it play into like how the the design process goes and how bumpy it is or isn't and what um, decisions are pushed forward versus held back into the backlog And so it's just really important, if nothing else, like you don't have to know all the details, but just being cognizant of like business impact and implications to the design. So thinking about the bigger picture of your designs and how that impacts the whole business. Yeah, it's really easy to like narrow in on like pixels. I mean, even just this morning, I made um, a design change to like a section on a website that we're planning to launch, like the, our new website. And I wanted to like, my design eye mm. is like, Ooh, that doesn't look good. I kind of want to change it, but we're literally launching in like less than 24 hours mm. or less than that. I think it's like 10 hours. Mm-hmm. And there is like developers are still working on a couple of tickets to, and by tickets for anyone who doesn't like, when you put tickets into Jira of like every single line item for the design so that, you know, the engineers know what to, what to build and what order to build it and what priority it has. And, you know, you have that conversation of like, is this a high priority or not? And like, you have to make design sacrifices to make it easier. So maybe I want these two things overlapping, Mm -hmm. but the widget in the CMS isn't going to allow that. And it's going to take like two extra hours and he only has one or she only has one or they only have Mm -hmm. one to one hour to get that thing done. So then I'm going to make a design decision that's a little bit different to fit into the parameters. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with like the bigger picture of the business or marketing objectives or what have you. I think just by what you're saying, I can kind of get a sense of why watercolor is your creative outlet because design a lot (laughs) of times is like literally like what you just mentioned. There's a lot of like constraints and... Yeah. other perspectives that you have to consider when you're designing mm-hmm. it's not completely free form as yeah. to like art or other types of creative mediums yeah i'm forgetting the um off the top of my head the like who wrote it but there's a book called design is a job and when i was leading the team over at like intrepid slash accenture mm-hmm. um we had a book club and not everyone was required or anything to go to the book club, but just coincidentally, like most of our team decided to join it for this one book, Design is a Mm -hmm. Job. And it goes into detail of not that you can't have creativity and that you can't like have a lot of fun, but you're totally right. There are always constraints. And for some people kind of like finding the solution through visual, Mm -hmm. like UI and UX is is the fun, but there are some designers that kind of like find themselves to be more excited about the like exploration phase, being able to like go wild and try like four different like uh, 
variations of a design and just, you know, have no rules and just make it look really beautiful. Like the things that you see on Dribbble. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us become designers because that is really enticing and it's really fun. It's why I became a designer. Mm -hmm. I always joke, I used to tell my, myself or tell my friends like, oh yeah, I'm going to be a designer so that I never have to like follow rules or do math again. It's just like such a joke. Yeah, wait, that's so ironic. Doing math all the time. Yeah. All the time. We just had like a two hour meeting the other day trying to figure out like the density level of like and like ratio between points and pixels mm. and how Figma designs for like 163 PPI, mm. but it's different than the 72 PPI. Oh, that wow. It was a whole accessibility conversation. And I, and I was laughing to my like 18 year old self thinking like, oh, I'm never going to have to do math again. But to your point, the watercolor and... It, it is really helpful for me because I do I do love the creative side of it. And even, I mean, when iPad came out with Procreate, mm. that was just the best thing ever because I would just draw in that. And when I had more time, like as an early, like junior designer, I used to do just like 100 days of UI. Mm. And it was just mm -hmm. fun to create UI and practice things with free range and no constraints. Right. But in the, in most cases, you're, you are dealing with constraints. Mm. Um, not always. I mean, there were, that's another thing I loved about agency work was there, especially at places like Digitas or when I was at Accenture and, you know, any another agency in between, there are a lot of businesses out there and startups or like large corporations that they might not have the time to spend on it themselves. So they'll contract out mm. for agencies to do that exploratory work. So they'll say, we want a new app and we have no idea what it needs to look mm -hmm. like. And that's, those projects are so fun because mm -hmm. you, you get to have those, like those opportunities do come along. And even here working at a startup there, you know, we were talking about building a consumer facing app next year for mm -hmm. homeowners. Mm -hmm. Like there's going to be an exploratory phase before we get into the like constraint mm -hmm. phase right. of, the concept design process yeah. so yeah, yeah i mean it's not that it doesn't exist it's just not every day and so when you're like oh, i want i want to create something mm. having um an external outlet is so so important in my opinion i think this is a good segue into um because you mentioned this multiple times you previously worked at intrepid slash accenture before mm -hmm. for a period of time and for listeners Accenture is a professional service company they specialize in information technology services and consulting I totally did not grab that from Google um, <laughs> that sounded very formal <laughs> I think on a high level what did you work on on Accenture and I know that there was a transition period for you in terms of role like from a lead you were experience designer and then you became the director of experience design so We'll love to hear mm -hmm. about that transition in this as well. Yeah. So after Digitas, I I had two um, fellow design coworkers of mine on my team at Digitas, and they both left for the same company, which at the time was called Intrepid. Mm -hmm. And Intrepid was a mobile design and development agency that was founded like right when mobile apps were really starting to pick up. And it was like, there's an app for everything. Mm -hmm. And and it grew really quickly. And I joined that company in 2017, I think. 
where I was a, I started at Intrepid as a senior designer, and then I was promoted eventually, I don't Mm -hmm. remember when, to a lead experience designer. And my primary role there, it sort of depended on the project that we, that I was put on. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in true consulting, like agency fashion, some of our projects were long-term, like year-long projects where I worked with a health um, company, a large pharmaceutical company for a year. And I joined as like a supplement to their design team and helped them, you know, with whatever, whatever was going on. Sometimes they were like bigger projects. Sometimes it was like quick UI or UX fixes based on user research and things like that. So we had some projects that spanned that sort of like that were like that long and had that sort of setup. I specialized in what's called like design thinking and like experience design strategy thinking. There's so many names out (sighs) there, but essentially like taking a lot of chaos and turning it into something that's streamlined for users Mm -hmm. is like the best way that I know how to put Mm it. And that could be for an app, a website, a kiosk, digital display, like if it was digital and it had like loose parameters or loose definition, any client could take that problem statement to us and say, we need to figure out how to solve this. We would do like a two day workshop Mm -hmm. with them, Mm -hmm. super high touch, super collaborative and like very, very fast. One of those processes where you trust the process and it was mirrored off of the Google design sprint Mm -hmm. methodology. And then we kind of tweaked it a little bit ourselves to make it meet the needs of our um, clients. And so I I did a lot of that. I mean, for the first, I was at um, Intrepid slash Accenture for four and a half years. And I'd say for the first like two, two and a half, no, for the first two years, I was almost on only short term stints, like anything from two weeks to like two months, maybe was the longest project that I was on. And that was where it was really exploratory. And I got to work with a lot of clients, anything from, I worked for like cocktail, like Keurig Mm -hmm. style machine, a company called Drinkworks. I worked for, I worked on Teva. I worked on, I don't even, a ton of startups that I don't even remember. One that sent me um, to Dubai for two weeks because mm-hmm. that's where wow. the stakeholders were based out of just to run a workshop mm-hmm. and then like talk to some mechanical or sorry, garage mechanics mm-hmm. and like get some field uh, research, if you mm-hmm. will. I worked on a lot of really different diverse projects and then we were acquired by Accenture mm-hmm. not long after I started. I can't remember the exact year. Mm-hmm. The pandemic has really messed up my ability to recall. <laughs> no, same. It feels like seven years yeah. ago. It was really not that long. Um, feels very far away. But yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we were acquired with by Accenture and things did not change overnight, but within a year of being acquired, our clientele changed. Mm. And basically like a big part of us um, joining Accenture was one that like we had a, we had a specialty Mm. that they wanted to provide to their clients. And for us, it was sort of a, you know, a a bridge Mm. to a large, a larger pool of clients Um, And so around that shift is when I started working on like larger, more recognizable names and less in the startup Mm -hmm. world, including United. Mm -hmm. I worked on BMW for like 
an internally facing tool and a couple of others. Bank of America, we worked on for a little bit. But yeah, so I was a lead designer and then for like a little while and then maybe like halfway through being at um, Accenture, it was after we were acquired, we started to expand and sort of map our roles to some of the roles that Accenture acquisitions had. Mm-hmm. So the um, her name's Christine Pizzo and she, she was the one I followed there from Digitas. She stepped into the, I think she, it was, she stepped into the regional mm-hmm. role, regional design director role, because we had a few uh, offices across New York, Chicago, and then a little bit like we opened up in Seattle. Mm-hmm. So we needed that like broad mm-hmm. umbrella role. And when that happened, that's when I stepped into the director role. Uh, I see. And then yeah. what were some of the differences in terms of responsibility being, I guess, more of a IC individual contributor position to kind of like the overarching director, um, which sounds very yeah, grand. It was, in, um, in a sense. <laughs> yeah, right. It was like it was a big step, but it also, in some ways, like didn't feel like too. I like the the relationship that I had and the role that I played in terms of like in front of clients didn't change. Mm. So that part, like, um, it wasn't that big of a shift in terms of like how I interacted with clients, how I led um, project teams. But what did change for me was, and this was like really hard for me to do and why I think it was a little bit of a uphill battle at times was like, I really had to delegate a lot more on the project level work. I wasn't able to design because with stepping into the director role, there was a lot of responsibility and the way that the way that our team was structured it wasn't it wasn't to the point where i was meeting with all 30 designers every single week mm-hmm. we had like a career counseling model so each person had a like daily manager if you will and then if any sort of escalation came up positive negative neutral it would come to me mm-hmm. to to manage mm-hmm. and then there were um, a number of like trainings and processes and, you know, hiring and like that level mm-hmm. of team management that mm-hmm. fell on my shoulders. So it was, it was a lot. I will like be honest and say that like it was, it felt like too much at times, mm-hmm. um, which is what ultimately drove me to try leaving mm-hmm. or what, what led me to leave mm-hmm. was uh, I just, I didn't personally, it did not work for me to feel like I was not able to like fully focus on the building and leading and nourishing a team of like really amazing designers and also like provide clients with like the best work possible. I somehow, I guess, managed it. Like I would call the positive, the experience like really positive, but, um, but yeah, it was just like a lot of context switching and mm-hmm. I am learning about myself that I'm not really that good mm-hmm. at it mm-hmm. all the time, mm-hmm. especially if I, you know, don't get enough sleep mm-hmm. or if my blood sugar is low. Yeah. So it's just like a little <laughs> manage when you're like switching gears in such, you know, in such different worlds, like to switch gears when you're designing, you're like, okay, I'm going to design this page and I'm going to design mm-hmm. this page. But mm-hmm. when you're like, okay, I'm going to design this page and I'm going to go have a really hard conversation with someone and they're probably going to be upset. Right. And then I have to go back to, it's just oh. really weird. It was really hard for me. So yeah, that, that was a big transition for sure. I think this is also 
Another good segue into where you're currently at, which is Forge. On a high level, what do you work on um, at Forge? So at a high level at Forge. So when I first joined Forge, I was really focused on, on our brand strategy, actually, which I am like part of the product team as a digital and like, you know, product designer. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're a startup and we have a lot of we have a lot of different needs and we're not like a, you know, we don't have every single role that you could think of in a company. We're mm-hmm. small mm-hmm. and growing. And so I started on the brand work. Well, I guess like taking a step back. So what Forge is doing is building, empowering the next generation of the trades community. Mm-hmm. What we're ultimately trying to do is give trades people the skills and technology mm-hmm. that they don't have and that they need to provide homers, homeowners with best in class craftsmanship, service, and support, whether it's something as small as like, I need to build this dresser or something as big as I need to gut my kitchen and renovate it. And then the other side of that equation is the homeowner's experience, our customers, and giving them a positive experience when they need a dresser built or they need their kitchen regutted. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen through the pandemic, there is such a centralized like focus mm-hmm. on the home. It's the place that you grow and play and work and sleep mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. eat and yeah. um, people are investing more into their home. Mm-hmm. So what I do now is, so I'm on a team of four designers. We're flat right now mm-hmm. where there's just so much to do. And we're all kind of like, we all have our hands on all sort of different things. Mm-hmm. But as of late, I've been really focused on the customer facing experiences. So, and then some of our like internal design need. So some of the like internal marketing assets and materials I'm helping out with just are about to launch our website, Mm -hmm. um, which is like consistent with the rebrand that I helped Mm -hmm. with when first joining. Next up will be the consumer facing app, hopefully to start gearing up for that and like go through a really true like design and discovery process Mm -hmm. and get some customer research, Mm um, you know, to help inform our decisions Mm -hmm. and, and then setting up a design system Mm -hmm. is kind of my main focus for Mm -hmm. this month. Um, a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. A lot of different things, but I am loving it. I, uh, I said that I'm really bad at like context switching Mm -hmm. and balancing things, Mm -hmm. but I also really love when I have to contact. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's a weird dynamic. Like I'm, it's something, maybe it's because it's a challenge, you know, like I'm not very naturally good at doing, I shouldn't say I'm not good in that. Like it, it makes me feel really overwhelmed and I don't always like do things to the best of my ability when I go overboard mm. with having too many things to do, right. but I love, I love it. I love having a bunch of different things on my plate. So that, that's in a not so small nutshell what I do at Forge. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I know we're a little bit running out of time. So I, w- I really wanted to ask this final question, which is if you're now facing yourself, but 20 years old, so back in college, what career mm-hmm. slash life advice will you tell young Amanda? I would tell myself not to stress myself out with all-nighters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's for one. <laughs> I took a lot of all-nighters in some of my design classes, trying to like make everything perfect. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would tell myself that design is and always will be iterative. So like this idea of like perfection really doesn't need to exist in the design world. Like it's a like it it's something that's hard for me to let go of in some moments. 
like you want like things to be perfectly aligned, right, but right. then or you want something to like perfectly match like a vision that you have and whatever, but you're running out of time. And I in the past have put so much stress on myself to like to have everything just like be completed, perfect, like ready to go. And, you know, I see this a lot with like younger designers too, this idea of like perfection and needing to um, needing to like get everything like really perfect before you share it for feedback, Mm -hmm. because you think it's a reflection of like you or your ability or how good you are. And it's iterative, Mm -hmm. you know, like Mm -hmm. I'm a better designer today than I was definitely 10 years ago, but even last week, like Mm -hmm. I'm 15 years into my career and I'm still just this week, I'm learning more things about like, I've done design system work before, Mm -hmm. but the design system work that I've done in the past wasn't like, I'm improving that even now. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. just as iterative. So I I think I would tell my 20 year old self not to put so much pressure on myself to like be the best designer in the world. Cause like, you're not going to be the best mm-hmm. designer that you can be in this day and time. Like you, mm-hmm. if it's a career that you follow or a passion that you pursue, like you just will end up changing and evolving and growing and iterating. So love that. That's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot on that one. Um, no, it's, always, okay. it's always, always a tough question to, to ask. Um, but yeah, I think love that ending thought. I think with that, that rounds up the fireside chat that we have today. So Amanda, thank you so much for, for joining me. Yeah, thank you. I'm so glad to, that I got a chance to, to chat with you. Hey there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show. And I'll see you in the next episode.